Well, hello everyone, and as we begin our new season, we come together knowing that we are doing the right thing. We are opening the book, the only book that can keep us grounded on Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. I pray that is what you are saying together with the whole, this, as you listen to this, that this is for all of us. So would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come to you, as we begin a new year, a new study, Lord, we know that you are sufficient. We know that your word is the answer. Lord, we know that this is how we spiritually grow. This is how we get spiritually tough in a world that is just shaking. Lord, we need to be tough. We need to be grounded. And Lord, we know that you are the one. So we pray to you, Father, for being our Father. And we know that as a godly Father, you will be all that. You want the best for us. So you have given us what we need. And Lord, we also pray to you, Jesus. And we know that you are the answer for all of, of our sins and all of our own self. And you are our salvation. And we pray to you, Lord, Holy Spirit, as we know that you are the one that, that takes the words of Jesus and makes them come alive in our lives. Father, we thank you for this song that was written that reminds us that, that we can picture you and Jesus, the Son, um, in glory, in, in the magnified, the majesticness of who you really are. But we thank you for letting the Holy Spirit stay behind because we cannot do it without him. So, Holy Spirit, we, we give you full reign in our thoughts and our minds and especially in our hearts today in Jesus his name. Amen. Well, whenever we start a study, I always like, even though we're going to do Acts, and we're going to start next week with Acts 1, and we will go through every word, every line, but I like starting with a psalm. And this is a psalm not, not written by David. It's a, it's a psalm written by the sons of Korah. And it is a familiar psalm, and I picked it on purpose because of the day and age in which we live. And being that we have not officially met together in quite a long time, we have a tendency to forget or get sidelined, and we need to be reminded how strong and how able our God is. In fact, I'm even going to start with who he is. And so open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 46. And it says, God, God is. And, and I'm going to spend some time on this verse because if we don't get this verse, the rest of the psalm is, is very much an impossible in feet. There's no, there's no reason to even read the rest of this psalm if we don't understand verse 1. And so, God, who is God? And, 
And, you know, I think we all know. I mean, I think we just automatically um, think, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. We know that we have a God that has created this world, this universe. But, but I went on a personal note, and I... I need to ask you as I ask myself, who is God to you? Is he that big? Is he that powerful? Is he real? Because believe it or not, it's so easy to have other gods. And we know that in the Ten Commandments that we shall not have any other gods and we think that maybe that's just a little statue or, or maybe another religion. And so we kind of pass that off thinking, well, of course, of course I, I don't have other gods. But unfortunately, we do. Unfortunately, it's so easy to have other gods, even though we don't even want to admit it. But if there is anything or anyone in our life that we cannot live without, if you've heard yourself say, I couldn't possibly live without that person, or I can't possibly live without this bank account, I can't possibly function if I don't have this or this or this, and you can fill in the blanks. And then you start to realize how easy it is to have other gods. Because as I went through God's word, I noticed that that many of the prominent figures of the Bible have said and have admitted, you are God, there is none other. And so these prominent figures of God's word had to finally figure out, and I think that's a lesson for us. We have got to, in our own lives, we've got to say to ourselves, you are God. God and there is none other and you are sufficient you are enough you are who you say you are in the in in, in second samuel chapter 7 david himself he said this how great you are o sovereign lord there is no one like you there is no god but you there had been a time in David's life. This was Second Samuel. He had done a lot of living by this time. And he had discovered this. And this is, this is such a good ground to stand on. When you have come through so much of life and you finally come to the conclusion how great you are, O oh, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. Do you realize how, how stable you are when you say that? Do you realize how secure you are when you say that? Do you realize how that can change your, your doubt and your fear and your panic and your questions? Do you know how that can just solidify you and stand on the solid rock when you can say like David, how great you are. There is none like you. There is no one like you. 
And he says it again in Psalm 86, verse 10. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Jesus himself says this in John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God. Now that's right out of Jesus' mouth, and there he is, 100% human, but we also know he's 100% God. But he dares to say at that point, for you are great. You are, you are our eternal life. And Jesus says, my goal is so that they may know you, the only true God. And that's something that's right out of Jesus' mouth. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul declares it. In James chapter 2, James declares it. So I think I've proven my point that somewhere in our lives, we have got to come to grips with the fact that he is God. He alone is God, and there is none other. And what a difference that will make in our lives. So when we start Psalm 46 today, I just want to make sure that you know who your God is. And have you been, have you been fearful and questioning and doubting and panicking? And, or can you say that this Psalm 46 is going to help you get on that solid rock that you have a God who's almighty, and who wants you to find your security in your everything in him. So then, after you get past the first word, and you know who your God is, then you can read, God is. God is, and then he's going to go on to say who God is. And when he says God is, it's not, he might be, or I think he is. No, the psalmist here says, God is. Now, doesn't that sound sure? Doesn't that sound like, well, there's no room for doubt here. Because my God, who now I have gotten a new visible picture of, I know that he is who he is, and he is my God, and he is. So now, no questions, no doubts. God is who? He is your. And I, I really love to personalize God's word because it is God's word written to me, just like it's God's word written to you. So when the psalmist says God is our I just kind of make it personal and say, God is mine. Because that just kind of puts it on my level and I realize how much I am loved. I have a God, an almighty God, who, yes, did create this world, but also made provisions for me so that I could come into his presence and I can know that he is my security. He is my father. He is my savior. And he is my king. He is my Lord. And when you get that 
fixed in your mind. And then the psalmist says, he is all of that. And that means he is my refuge. He is my refuge. You know, sometimes I look at these little words and they're the biggest words of all. And I, I repeat, I repeat that unless you go slow and you really think every word of this first verse, the rest of this psalm is pointless. So, God is two letters, but yet it takes all doubt away. Isn't that something? Two little letters can take all your doubt away? God is your refuge. And what is a refuge? It is a safe place. It is a sheltered place. It is some place that you can go away from danger. Now, I know we live in the middle of a dangerous world and society. And yet, again, when you know your position in God, you do not have to be afraid. Because he is your refuge and strength. Because what happens when we question and when we doubt and, and we fear and we worry? That weakens us. We have a tendency to stand back. And we have a tendency then to, to create all havoc in our minds. And that's why Paul, Paul understands human nature, and that's why Paul said that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that's why we take this verse and we, we, we change our mindset from what the world and all of what's happened has done to it. We come back to a psalm like this and say, I need to change my mindset. I need to get my mind back fixed on what is truth. And God's word is truth, and it tells me that God is my refuge, and he's my strength. And see, then you can, you can almost, you can sense the difference. All of a sudden, you feel that strength and energy, that boldness, because you know that you are quoting truth. You are not backing away to all society and, and all the news and all the things. You are standing on the truth because you have a God who is your refuge and he is your strength. So get up. Get up and know that you can walk through this storm with your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark that the enemy wants to put over you. The lies he wants us to believe. And the psalmist understands it. That's why he's going to say pretty much those exact words in a, in a more beautiful way, I think. But, but yet the principle is the same. But he's saying you first got to make sure you know who your God is. And then you believe this truth about him that he is your refuge, which then makes him your strength. And then he puts this beautiful little tidbit in that, and yet it's enormous. What a great reminder, because sometimes when you're going through the storm of the world, you forget 
that he's ever-present. He's ever-present. He has never left. He is right there next to you. He's right next to me. So again, let me go through the whole entirety of this first verse and see what you think now. See what you feel now. See if you're saying, oh, that's right, because that's what happened to me. When you have months of being, being inside and you have months of staying away from people and you have months of being not in Bible study and in church and, and it, then self and human nature takes over and, and then we start watching the news far more than we're reading our Bibles and, and then we're just watching our self take over. And then you find that, that you're getting more fearful and doubtful and you're finding that all of these emotions are starting to take over your faith. And then you're reminded, just one simple verse. Oh yeah, that's right. God is my refuge and he is my strength. And he is ever present. He has never left me. And like the saying goes, if you feel that God isn't by you, he's not the one that left you did. I did. And a lot of times we have to admit, you're right, we did. We started believing that. We started believing that person. We started believing everything but God's word. And I think that's why we say every week, we remind ourselves that this is God's word, every word is true, and it's all that we need. But then we watch ourselves get weakened by this world. And so this verse reminds us, God Almighty, the only, the one, my God, your God, he is no doubt about it. He is your and my refuge. And he is your and my strength. And he is ever present. He's ever present. And then verse 2. See, I know I spent a lot of time in that first verse. But right away in verse 2, you have a therefore. Therefore... And the psalmist is assuming now that you have got verse 1 down and you've got it figured out in your life and you've felt your strength come back. You've watched your worry and your doubt flee because you've got your God back in his proper place. And you've said, oh yeah, that's right. And you've gotten back to where you need to be. See, that's what the psalmist is assuming all is happening already. And so then he comes in the second verse and says, therefore, now that you've got that straight, you and I, we will not. See, when you've got verse one all in its right place, do you know that that just takes fear away? And that's why he, the psalmist has all the confidence in the world saying, therefore, Fear's gone. We will not fear. And, and the psalmist is a realist. I mean, he knows life. He knows that storms hit. 
whether they be worldwide pandemics or whether they be personal storms. No matter, he's saying, and so then he describes it in such a, such a poetic way. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. See, he's pretty much saying, he's, he's saying the worst that could possibly happen. And the worst that could happen would be that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Isn't that something? I mean, you look, Tom and I just got back from, from the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and we saw the majesticness of God's creation. And, and then when, he, when he made these mountains and they're enormous and they're, they're sturdy and they're, they're solid and, and yet the psalmist kind of, he says, verse one doesn't change even if those big strong mountains fall into the sea. If the earth gives way, the mounts fall in the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and the mounts quake with their surging. Boy, he really paints a picture there. I mean, that would be devastation, wouldn't it? That would be absolute chaos, wouldn't it? You've got the earth giving way. You've got the mounts crumbling in the sea, and that causes a big tsunami. And that surge then, now those waters roar. And you know what they, the damage and what the power that that can do. So that's what the psalmist is making sure we see that he's painting a picture that's the ultimate chaos, the ultimate crisis, the ultimate catastrophe, the ultimate surprise. So, in other words, there isn't anything that you can say, yeah, but too, because there's nothing worse than this. Because that's what human nature, what we do, yeah, but. But my problem, my crisis, my catastrophe, my disappointment, I think that's a big one too. This is what I wanted in my life, but I didn't get it. And disappointment was to take over and overwhelm. And Satan is just clapping, and he's saying, great. I got her weak. So the psalmist makes sure that we know that verse 1 will hold true even in the worst of situations. If you want to and you want to take the time and I hope that you're getting so in love with God's word that that you're just waiting for for me to suggest that you go to other passages so that you can read some more and study more I mean have you ever gotten and I think you're gonna have find that in Acts we only do a chapter we'll only do a chapter a week but I have a tendency you're gonna sneak ahead because you're just gonna want to know what happens but look at that as a good sign, a, a spiritual growth. Like you want, you just, there's nothing else that you could be doing that's more exciting and more life-changing than being in the one book that can do all that. So, you know, that, that's how you can tell. I mean, you're hungering and thirsting for more. And so I say go to Second Chronicles 20. And I know that's not a very familiar book, Second Chronicles, but 
It is a great book, and especially chapter 20. It's such a lesson of mountains caving into the sea and the earth giving way and the water surging and all looks hopeless. Jehoshaphat is such a, a powerful king at that time and, and yet he's such a wonderful example of even though he's a powerful king, he knows his God. He knows that when the vast armies are coming against him, and even though that was a literal sense, the vast armies were coming against him, vast army is anything like a crisis, a catastrophe, a surprise, a disappointment. And it comes against you. And it all looks so hopeless. And Jehoshaphat, even though he's king, he calls his people together and says, the only way we can get through this is on our knees. Handing it over to the one, the only one, just read that chapter and just watch the power of God and I always say yes it did turn out just the way the way Jehoshaphat wanted it to but he didn't know it was going to turn out that way and sometimes we don't always get the answer we want but there is something fortifying and and secure when you turn over your crisis even though you don't know how the Lord's going to answer it you believe See, that's why we need Bible studies so much because you know that the more you know, then the more you'll trust. If you don't know much about your God, then you are not going to trust someone you don't know. But the more you get to know him, that's why the more knowledge of him, the more you will trust him. And you will dare say, your will be done. Because you believe that his will is perfect. And as much as you might have wanted something else, you trust that when God created you, he had a plan. And he knew how he was going to use you. And he knew how he was going to use me. And do we love him enough? Do we love him enough for our eternal salvation that we dare say, use me however you want? That we trust him, that when he created us, that we're allowing him to use us for his glory, for his kingdom. See, we're such selfish humans. And we want what we want, and we go crazy when we don't get it. And this psalmist is trying to get us to see who he is that he loves us, that he's ever-present, that he's got a plan. And even though life stinks, even though crisis and disappointments and catastrophes and storms hit, he wants us to see if we're going to fall on our knees and throw up our hands and trust him. Even when we don't understand and believe that he is our refuge and our strength. He is our purpose. He is the one that gives us our worth. 
So the psalmist, I don't know how you can, how you can deny what he's saying. First verse, critical. You need to know that. Verses 2 and 3, he makes sure that you and I know that this is life. And there's going to be times in our life that it all looks hopeless. Well, guess what? Verse 1 didn't change. And it's up to you and I to decide if we're going to keep going back to verse 1 or if we're going to crumble under the pressure. And then we'll find that our strength is gone. And then verse 4. This is a verse. Now he's going to start opening up the verses showing us how God in the middle of life, in the middle of crisis and catastrophes and storms and disappointments, he shows and gives provisions. This is how you get through. And then after, after you read words like, and the mountains quake and, and the waters surge, and then it comes back and says, there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Because, you know, he knows that in human nature, when all is rocking around us, that we need a calming force. And so he comes back with these words. In the middle of all that, remember, there is a river whose dreams make glad the city of God. And all I could think of was Revelation chapter 22. And what a picture. See, he wants to keep our eyes fixed on what's ahead. We get so stuck in the now and when all looks hopeless, he is saying, that's why he gave us the book of Revelation, something to hang on to so that we keep looking forward. That we know that it's all going to turn out right. And so when he talked and used those words, I thought of Revelation 22 when John wrote, then the angels showed me the river of the water of life. Clears crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Right down the middle of the great street of the city. See, see John is, is saying what what Jesus told him to write so that we have a, a visual even though it's so beyond our, our ableness to comprehend he gives us a glimpse that all is going to be well someday because there is a river whose dreams make glad the city of God how much are you and I looking ahead? How much do we take a deep breath and say, but I know because Jesus said. How many times do you say that? And if you live, if you learn to make that a habit when you start feeling your human nature start tensing up and getting over anxious and overwhelmed and when you 
feel the emotions taking over your faith. Say, stop it. And take a deep breath and say, God is my refuge and strength. He's ever present. And he keeps reminding me that it's all going to turn out because there is a river that flows from the throne of God. And then he talks about the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. So what are one of the provisions here? There is a river. To me, that just calms me down. It's just kind of floating on the tube down the lazy river. Just, it just kind of calms me down in the midst of the chaos. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in the midst. He is in control. He's in the most high. He is watching. He is reigning. And he's in the mist. He's within me. And when you've accepted Jesus as your personal savior, not just the knowledge of the cross and the empty tomb, but you've taken that walk to the cross because you know you're a sinner in need of the one and only savior. Then he comes to live inside of you. So when the psalmist said, God is within her, God is within that city of Jerusalem, if you want to say it literally, but he's in, he's within you, he's within me. God is in the midst, God is within, he's all around. And what do you think about that phrase, hey, God will help? God will help. Maybe you're not feeling his help because maybe you didn't really trust him. Maybe, maybe you were afraid to go to him because it might not, he might not answer the way you want. So then you think, well, then I just won't bother. Or maybe you don't even believe that he can and will help. Well, the psalmist says that <laughs> It's in God's word. It's true. He promises to be our provision. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. I went back to Psalm 2 when the psalmist writes, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. And I just really appreciate verse 7 of Psalm 2 where it says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. When man thinks that they are so powerful and invincible, do you know what our Lord Almighty God is doing when they think they're invincible and they think they're in control? He's laughing. So yes, we are living in a world where the nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. 
he lifts his voice, the earth melts. What a picture. All our God has to do is open his mouth. I'm reminded again of Revelation when John saw Jesus the first time after his ascension and he saw Jesus in all of his glory and yet the way John described it in the first chapter of Revelation I mean he, he goes into detail of what he looked like you know the golden sash the head the head and hair were white like wool his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace but this this is what caught me and related me to this psalm his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His voice is more powerful when he speaks, and so his he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The psalmist is really getting things back into perspective, isn't he? When we get all out of whack, he then reminds us and gets things back into perspective. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. Did you know, no, did you, did you see how many times he keeps saying that he's in the midst? God is with us. He wants to make sure that we remember. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our fortress. He is our fortress. And did, did you notice that there are three times that the word Selah is written, written in this psalm? That word is written 71 times in the psalms. 71 times. And, and so I looked it up. I wanted to know what does Selah mean? And if you just want a simple definition, it means forever. So in other words, three times the psalmist writes, and this isn't going to change. This truth is forever. That God is our refuge and strength ever-present, that's not going to change. The God all that the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, that's not going to change forever. No matter what his grace abounds. Because you know what? We deserve none of this. We deserve his provisions To me, I look at this verse and I see grace all the way through it. There's no reason why you should be our refuge and our strength. Why you should want to be ever present with us. And yet, his love and his grace abounds. And then, verse 8, an invitation. Come, come. Now, I want, the psalmist says, come and see the works of the Lord. Do you need proof? Do you need evidence? 
because, you know, a lot of people are skeptical. A lot of people today are very cynical. And so the psalmist invites and says, well, come, I'll prove it to you. And how does he prove it? I think he proves it by looking back. He says, come, look, look what he has done. Like for his people, the Israelites. Look how, come and see the works of the Lord. And then the desolations he has brought on the earth. I like the way the psalmist makes sure that we see all the sides of God. And when God says, I expect obedience, and if you don't obey, then there's going to be consequences. See, everybody wants God's blessing, but none of, nobody wants to do what it takes to get it. They want God's blessings their way. But it doesn't work that way. God's blessings come with obedience. And if, they, if, you, if you don't obey, then there's consequences. And so... Then right away you're thinking, well, does God send this? Does God do this? Does God do that? You know, God would never, he's evil, it's not a part of him at all. But when human nature is so evil, I believe there are times when God says, okay, hang yourself. Or I can use this to prove to you that you can't do it. You know, I would, I would dare say, because people will say, I don't want to believe in a God who would let planes drive, in, drive into a big building and kill so many people. God didn't do that. Sinful hearts, disobedience does that. And there's consequences. God gets the blame for things that he has no business getting the blame for. However, in these crises, in these devastations, he can say, I know, he says, I can use this. If you'll come to me, I can use this to show you who I am. Don't make blame God for man's evil heart and man's evil action. But God can use it to show us that disobedience will reap consequences and desolation. But look how the psalmist, look how the psalmist says, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Oh, he wants reconciliation. He wants, he wants desolation to wake us up so that we take a look at him and realize what? Verse 1, that there's only one God and he is. And there's no kidding around with him. And there's no playing around and playing religious games with him. 
He wants real faith and trust in him. And that only comes from getting to know his character. And that only comes from studying. He wants to make things right. He wants us to come to him on knees, on bended knees, and say, and throw up our hands and say, you are all we need. I made other gods in my life. I thought I couldn't live without this or such, or, but you are all I need. See, he can use desolations to get our eyes open again. I'll tell you again in Revelation, oh my, if you want to read about breaking the bow and shatter the spear and burns the shields with fire, you read Revelation 19. When he comes back, when he fulfills the promise of ridding, ridding evil from this world, and in chapter 20, you watch him pick up Satan like he's a piece of nothing and throw him into hell. I'm telling you, if that doesn't cause you and I to find our strength and to hold on. And as the psalmist ends, as he's painted these big pictures in our mind, he comes back and he finishes by saying, just be still. Just be still. Get in a quiet place. Be still. Open up your Bibles. Let the spirit that lives within you take these words on a page and make them personal to you so that this psalm is yours and yours alone. Be still and without any doubt say, I know that you are God. That's what he wants you and I to say. Be still and know. Be sure. I love the way Paul and Job, they use words like persuaded, convinced. Are you persuaded? Are you convinced? Are you sure? Be still. Take a look at your heart and know. Can you say that? I know. Be still and know that I am God. I will. I, I stood up and take notice now that whenever, whenever I read God say, I will. It kind of gives me the chills because th there's no question in my mind that he's not going to do what he says. And so now he wants us, even in the midst of all the chaos that's going to run around, he said, are you still? Close your eyes, picture me. And know that I will, <laughs> I will be exalted among the nations. And we know that Paul wrote that in Philippians. That someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That every knee will bow and exalt the name of Jesus.
So when the psalmist writes, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. Isn't that securing to you to know that this is someday? And I just soon have it sooner than later, but we have to wait and we have to watch and we have to be ready. But he's saying, I will be exalted. And then he ends by saying, don't ever forget that the Lord and Lord means in all, over all, through all. The Lord Almighty, he says it again, is with you. He is with me. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. The same God that was the God of Jacob, Abraham, Joseph, Isaac, David, you name it, Moses, Joshua. I could go on and on. That's just the ones that come to my mind right there because he says, the God of Jacob is your God, is my God. And as he was their fortress, he is my fortress. He is your fortress. Don't you feel stronger now? And look what, look what word comes and finishes this psalm again. Selah. Forever and ever. It does not change. Our God does not change. His word does not change. This message does not change. And that's the way we start our new Bible study here. Father, thank you again for your word. And that it does not change. And as you were God to Jacob, as you were his fortress, and oh, how Jacob needed you, and may we fall at your feet and again say, we're sorry we started making other gods. We started trusting this world. And in an election year, we get all worked up because... Well, we forget to trust that you are our ultimate king. And you are going to make it all right. And someday, we know we have a savior that will return. And we await that day. We are ready for that day. We are prepared for that day with our Bibles open. And what a day that will be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.